The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time to There is a time for answers. There is a time for challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm excited tonight. I am pumped. All night long, we're going to be talking about a book called The Haunted House Diaries. William J. Hall is returning. He's got a brand new book out. You will remember William was here several months ago talking about his previous encounter with The Haunted. And uh, he's back once again. And this book is Ghosts, Aliens, and Holes in Space and Time. The book is called The Haunted House Diaries, The True Story of a Quiet Connecticut Town. Gotta love Connecticut. Quiet Connecticut Town in the center of a paranormal mystery. Now, just let me read the preamble for it. Nestled deep in Litchfield Hills, Connecticut, a 1790 farmhouse sits near the epicenter of a paranormal commotion. The family that resides there regularly encounters its own ancestors and strangers, human and non-human, who seemingly occupy the same physical space in our world while remaining in their own parallel worlds. When famous ghost hunters Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated, they dubbed it Ghost Central. Okay, we're going to get into this right away, folks, with William J. Hall, The Haunted House Diaries. Welcome back, my friend, and welcome back with a scary, scary book. Congratulations on this one. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, friend. You're very welcome. Okay, let's dive in right away. Can you describe this creepy old 1790 farmhouse? Um, is it? It's way out in the bush, I imagine, with very little around it. Uh, made in the 1790s, I'm suspecting it's kind of a, a pre-Victorian area type era type of house. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it's a, it's actually a, a very beautiful uh, area up in. In, uh, Litchfield Hills in the Torrington area, and the home was built in uh, 1793, and um, it's uh, described as a, well, they call it a vernacular homestead, whatever that means, but it's, it's been added on to, originally was actually a, uh, a, uh, a store, so the kitchen actually was a general store, uh, which is fascinating, um, and uh, 
the family, Donna's family, has lived there for six generations. And as far back as anybody remembers, there's been uh, paranormal happenings there. And in fact, in that whole area, there's a long, long history because there's paranormal flap there. So there's a long history of things uh, going on in that whole uh, area. Um, some people may have heard of Dudley Town. That's actually within that area, too, uh, which has long been written about. Uh, so it's kind of like a paranormal uh, crossroads, or as my good friend Paulino says, a paranormal circus or the Connecticut Skinwalker Ranch, he calls it. So it's uh, it's kind of your one-stop uh, shopping mall for the paranormal, as I would say. <laughs> Folks, if you're just joining us, settle in because you're in for a creepy night of great tales from this brand new book by William Hall called The Haunted House Diaries. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going, kick back in your most favorite chair, get ready to settle in and have a great ride with us tonight. William, is there many floors to this house? Is there an upstairs, a downstairs, and the ever-present basement? Yes, there's uh, two floors uh, and the uh, the basement. Uh, of course, the basement being very fascinating, also uh, containing one of the most active uh, rooms in the house, which is the uh, workshop. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty large house, which of course makes it a challenge to heat for the family in the winter. But it's been, uh, you know, it's just been in the family for so many generations. It's uh, it is a very beautiful house and beautiful, beautiful land there. There's quite a lot of land in the backyard that goes uh, goes back, uh, um, you know, quite a way. So it is a very nice area. Now, is the you know just to paint the picture completely for the listeners, is the house um, the basement in the house? Is it a dirt basement? Very often houses back then were just built on stilts. Uh, is it a cement basement? Uh, the surrounding walls of the house, is it a wooden structure, a limestone structure perhaps? Uh, it's uh, wooden and the basement, yes, is uh, uh, is dirt. Um, and it's, you know, you can see the old um, hand-hewn beams and the, the tree, you know, the, the tree uh, uh, barks and the bricks and, and, and some of that is shown in the book, but yeah, it's it's definitely has those uh, those old touches to it, which makes it uh, even a bit more creepier. <laughs> but uh, did you get up to the house at all yourself? Oh yeah, I was there many times. Uh, stayed over, you know, did overnights there, and uh, yeah, the family's wonderful. So they've adopted me, despite their um, that's probably their biggest horror they ever experienced in the house was me. But no, <laughs> no, they're they're wonderful family and uh, and you know Donna is is quite curious about it all so it's it was a nice environment because it's a place um, where you can go and investigate and there's always something different there and you're always going to get something there happening and on tape and or on photo uh, and uh, and and the nice thing is they're not in a panic mode you know if you went there and they were you know having a problem, uh, you'd be rude to try to gather, you know, evidence and that kind of stuff. Whereas this is, uh, you know, they're not having that. Uh, uh, luckily, um, most of it, you know, has not been quote unquote malevolent. I mean, I think a lot of people probably would have interpreted it that way. Um, say that. Yeah. To say that. Um, just, uh, 
you know, as far as, um, I mean, there's things certainly that have scared them, you know, large noises and stuff, but, you know, I don't consider those necessarily quote unquote malevolent. I think, I think, and I think that probably is why, you know, the house has been, um, you know, treated them well, so to speak. I think they're the perfect family to have there. If you had the similar family like the Goodens in Lindley Street, it'd probably be a disaster. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of people that are in a haunted house, they hear noise and whatnot. They think evil. They think demons. And, uh, you know, that kind of perpetuates what goes through the quote-unquote door or portal. So, um, you know, in this case, I think they took it objectively for what it was. You know, when they heard noises and that kind of thing and footsteps or whatever, they didn't, didn't just think, oh, look, it's Satan walking upstairs, you know. Uh, they they really were more objective to it. But, I, you know, I think a lot of people do interpret those things as just being, um, you know, malevolent or quote unquote evil. And I think we, you know, we throw that term around a lot. But, uh, you know, noises or bangings in a wall could certainly be frightening. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it's it's rash to to go and call them, you know, and deem them evil without really understanding, you know, that. So. And, you know, I think this family really never did that. Uh, certainly there were a few negative things over the years, but, uh, but mostly as Donna describes, and I've heard this from a lot of people, you know, in haunted houses, is that what happens isn't as scary as just kind of not knowing when something's going to happen. You know, it's kind of not knowing when there's going to be a noise or, you know, that kind of thing happening. Because uh, the phenomena itself often is, uh, you know, over with, you know, rather quickly. Okay, let's just back up a bit then, and we'll, we'll get into this from the very beginning. Can you describe the family to us? Uh, yes, well, they're living there now is uh, Don and Bob, husband and wife. Um, there's been six generations in that household, so they had quite a lot of people in there at one time. The grandmother, the mother, and, you know, extended family was living there. So there's been, um, you know, her ancestors have been you know, in the house for six generations. Uh, right now, it's just Don and Bob living in the house. The children have all had experiences, but, you know, are on their own. Uh, in fact, the daughter, Michelle, um, would live there again, but won't go in the basement alone. So everybody kind of re reacts to it in their, you know, <laughs> their own way, depending on, uh, you know, their experience there. Uh, but, you know, Don and, Don and Bob uh, are there, and they're not, uh, they're not, you know, if they were scared or horrified, they certainly would have moved out a long time ago. And I think a lot of families would have, but, you know, to Donna, she was born at, at the hospital and brought right back to that house. And to her, the paranormal was the normal. It was only when she went to uh, friends' houses to have sleepovers that she realized that, you know, her house is different. So, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it too. And they're just, you know, they're just the right kind of people, I think, for it. Like I said, I think, uh, you know, as, we know that, you know, the type of uh, atmosphere in the house certainly uh, determines what kinds of things are going to get pulled in there. And, uh, the, you know, they're just the, the perfect people to be in that house. You know, you said something before about young Michelle. You have to tell us why Michelle won't go in the basement. Uh, just because it's creepy. I mean, she's uh, throughout her growing up, she's experienced uh, numerous phenomena in there, which is, you know, sprinkled throughout the diary. Um, in fact, Donna was scared and intrigued and everything, but, you know, when she, when Michelle was just a baby, 
something, quote unquote, was even playing with her in the in the in the crib, which she later identified in a picture as as uh, being a member of the family. So that was, you know, and again, it's like, what do you think of it? You're you know, you're happy she's not crying anymore. But then on the other hand, you're a little little weirded out by, you know, what is she playing with or what does have her attention kind of thing. But, you know, in in Michelle's just um, uh, just at the basement is, um, you know, you're down there, you're part everything, you're alone and she knows that it's an active uh, area. Um, I think the one thing that really frightened her the most was one of the recordings that was uh, that was taken in, in the kitchen where this uh, this voice said lay down. And it was just a, a real creepy voice, and and ever since then she was she didn't want to hear any recordings because Donna would put out re- different recorders and try to uh, try to gather different uh, different information. What type of but things, that did it for that did it for what type of things were caught on tape? Um, you know all sorts of things, uh, banging sounds, uh, lots of voices. Uh, one of the funniest in my mind is Donna sneezes and you hear flash, you know, hear bless you going, you know, in a, in a whisper. Um, uh, but we caught all sorts of, we caught, uh, different, um, conversations going on and it appears, uh, uh Shane and I, Shane Sairway, who's, uh, you know, kind of what I call the trifecta of investigators. He had a near death experience, grew up in a haunted house and, is Native American, but, you know, he was there and critical to the investigation. He brought, you know, a ghost box and we we're asking questions. And I always ask questions about three times because they have so little, you know, I'm still a diehard skeptic as, as I should be. And, um, but the, the name that the person gave was, you know, Harry. And, you know, I asked her last name and, uh, said Wilcox three times. And, you know, I talked to Don the next morning this is you know early in the investigation and learned that uh harry wilcox was uh the brother william wilcox who bought that land originally where the house is built and you know of course then the uh, the town records confirmed that uh you know that that's you know who bought the land etc and harry had lived in the house at one time so you know quite interesting you know you don't know what to make of all of it but it's uh you know that's one of the fascinating things is to gather all this stuff and then have some fun really discussing all the different possibilities of what it can be. And that, to me, is what uh, was so neat about this case and, you know, doing this book in particular. William Hall's with us tonight, folks. He's back. Yes, he is. And he's got a new book out called The Haunted House Diaries, www.nightfrightshow.com. www.nightfrightshow.com. As always, click on tonight's guest book covers. There will be several of them there, and please do order this book. It's, uh, you know, it's late in the summer at this point, and fall will be upon us. Not a bad time to read a ghost story book, without question, and one that is written like a diary. Virtually, somebody has uh, made a diary of all the occurrences that have gone on. I'm going to ask William now. William, uh, in the flyer that I was sent with some information about the book, it says something about a grandson with a not so invisible plan. Can you tell us that story? Yes, certainly. Uh, and I hope you got a copy of the book. Did you get a copy of the book? No, but uh, that's okay. You know? oh, all right. Yeah, we're going to get you one. Jeez, that's just not right. But, any- <laughs> but anyhow, yes, um, 
yeah, it's a fascinating story. The, the grandson, uh, ever, even before he can walk, would toddle over to the bathroom and point up at the ceiling and uh, was acting as if he was engaged in you know, interacting with someone. And they literally would have to pick him up and bring him back into the middle of the living room. You know, the grandmother, Donna, and you know, her daughter, Michelle, uh, would have to literally pick him up and bring him back. And um, then he start, you know, when he just was starting to talk, he would also you know, he'd point at the ceiling and he'd go Ashwa, and uh, which you couldn't quite make out what he was saying. But later on, when he was starting to talk, he, he explained that he had, uh, you know, later on he explained he had a, a friend named Ashwa, and she was a, a little girl in a blue dress, and she was in a car accident with her mother, and, and she died, and she was stuck there to observe out in the tree in the front of the yard. And, and um, so that was pretty pretty bizarre. Of course, you know, the, the family didn't encourage him to talk about it, but of course knew that there was all these things going on in the house. They knew that he wasn't just, you know, just imagining things. And he used to put toys out around the tree. And, uh, you know, they asked, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm putting toys out for Ashwine. And uh, Paulina was there in 2010 and was talking to the grandson and said, uh, happened to say, you know, well, is Ashwine here, here now? And, uh, the, you know, the grandson. So and said, oh, yeah, Ash, point out the window. I said, Ashwar's, you know, right up in that tree. And so Paul went out in the pitch dark and, and filmed uh, with his infrared camera, made a video and caught Ashwar in video, which looks like kind of this serpent tadpole kind of thing uh, coming down in, in front of the tree and then um, changing into or, or, or going into like a mist of, of of white it's just the most bizarre thing you've ever seen and you know we've had mark d'antonio who's the audio video expert from uh, the mutual ufo network yeah he looked at all the photos that went in the book and and also uh well he looked at all the photos before they went in the book and and videos and that was one that was quite uh perplexing i mean nobody was smoking there was nothing really that could have caused it it certainly wasn't a squirrel or anything else you, you can imagine and the neat thing is they show on people this video who are you know don't believe in the paranormal at all and that, you know you can see their faces where they start to think maybe it's this maybe it's that and when the thing turns into mist they're just like what the heck was that you know and uh so you know that video uh also could be seen it's actually one of the things in the bonus page you know with the uh, you know with the book but um interesting about that is there's a fellow named gregory harold who in the 1970s was trying to catch a vandal and put an infrared camera out there and ended up catching these things that looked just like Ashwar. So, you know, me and him caught up and, you know, I interviewed him for the book and uh, he sent me an hour and a half of video of these things, these Ashwar, for lack of a better term, that have, uh, you know, that he's been studying, you know, their behavior and, you know, he thinks they're aliens, but he doesn't know, of course, you know, nobody really knows what they are. But um, quite fascinating that, you know, for a period of, I think it was about two years that he's, you know, he's been filming these things. And I was uh, just amazed at how, you know, they look just like Ashwar. And um, so so it's definitely a great example of just the bizarre things that happen in this area yeah, and in this house. 
How did Ed and Lorraine Warren come to be uh, get involved with this particular story? Did somebody reach out to them? Um, was it a family member, perhaps, or a friend? Yes, it was uh, Donna. They had they had seen them, and uh, of course, Donna, being you know always curious as far as you know what's going on in the house, had uh, called them and you know, described the kinds of things that they had experienced and Ed and Lorraine stopped over and Lorraine uh, went through the house and uh, Lorraine identified there's a bathroom upstairs, which, or, which originally was a bedroom. And uh, Lorraine went into the bathroom and said, you know, I, I'm picking up that actually this is the bedroom that you were in with your sister or whatever, you know, so she was very accurate when it comes to that, I'll, you know, I'll give her that. Um, and um, they called the house, uh, you know, Ghost Central. You know, Lorraine's said the house is completely full. There's just tons of people and activity there. But she did say she didn't sense uh, anything that was overtly negative and said that, uh, you know, you're okay, basically was the message. And uh, they actually ended up filming a, a commercial for, I think, a Japanese uh, television special in the house. You know, they had asked the family, and Don, Donna said, okay. And it's funny, because Bob, Bob's quite the practical joker of Donna's husband. And these uh, Japanese uh, film crew came in, and they were very afraid. And, uh, you know, one of them was in the bathroom, and Bob is flicking the light switch, and, you know, he hears a bunch of noise in the bathroom. <laughs> Oh yeah, Bob's just oh. <laughs> yeah, he's really bad. But uh yeah, great guy. But yeah, he's he's a, he has a long history of being a practical joker at work and stuff. So he's he's just a great guy, great sense of humor. But yeah, he you know, once he saw that they were so frightened, he he couldn't help it but you know, flick the light switch anytime any of them went in the bathroom. But uh yeah, so they actually filmed the, you know, a promo thing, you know, in, in the house there. But uh but, you know, that was, that was their involvement of, you know, how they stopped over and, you know, made Donna feel good that, uh, you know, that she was understood and that, you know, somebody kind of knew and could identify with that. Um, and that's how they got involved. And that's, that's how Paulino, my good friend Paulino got involved many years later as Donna has read, uh, yeah, read one of his books and, and said, geez, I think your theories might be what's happening at my house. And, you know, that's kind of how he got involved back in 2005. So. And I'm just curious now because you said there's nothing relevant there. So it sounds like there's a history of family that's just hanging around the house. Is there good cooking going on or is there something that's keeping them there and not moving on to the next level, so to speak? And it's definitely got to be the cooking. No. <laughs> um, you know, I, for the guests that come to visit. Right. I, well, I mean, there's uh, there's humans and non-humans. I mean, there's uh, small boy-like figures with elongated ears. There's uh, Bigfoot sightings. There's uh, uh, phenomena that's more indicative of uh, UFOs, uh, even within the house. So there's a variety of phenomena going on. There's also what appears to be, uh, you know, there's horse sounds. There's uh, things that appear to be uh, activity in the general store, you know, like general store customers uh, coming in and, you know, the cutting of fabric and, and things of that nature. 
So I think there's just a variety of things going on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we beg the question of, you know, are ghosts spirits of the dead or, or is quantum physics with the multiple universe theory the way to go? Or is it a mix of the two? Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on here. There's some interesting, um, good things going on, which, you know, would relate to ancestors. And, and, and yet there's, uh, there's plenty of the non-human things going on in the area too. Uh, aside from the houses, other houses that are haunted in the area and there's missing time in the area and, um, uh, Bigfoot sightings go many, many years back in that area. So it's just a whole, uh, matter of fact, Paul calls it the Connecticut Skinwalker case, but uh, it's like a paranormal crossroads. It's it's got a bit of everything going on there. Um, and you know, I I say not malevolent, but you know, if the diary was written differently and 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 the book was written differently, I mean, you know, you could say you can call it Demonsville too, because some people would say it's all demons. So you know, I I think it's I think that. It is a lot to it too, is, is how you interpret it in the context. And that was the exciting thing about the book is, uh, you know, having it in three parts where it's a diary, it's, you know, the phenomenon, the flap, and then it's a lot of the investigation and discussion. And, uh, and to me, that's, that's exciting to, to discuss, you know, what these things are like and what, what they might mean and, uh, you know, the different possibilities. And a lot of it is, you know, we make a lot of assumptions about the paranormal. But, um, you know, some of them may be really wrong and others might be exactly what we think they are. You know, the obvious thing. William, your previous book was uh, about a poltergeist case, a very famous one. And I'm just wondering, was there any parallels that you noticed between that book and your investigation that took place with this book? Any similarities at all? Well, I, I, I would say that I guess you can say the similarity was that the multiple places were affected because that was the case in, in, in both areas, uh, which I think is now more of the general thinking uh, for investigators that, you know, if one, one thinks to look that it's not always, but uh, quite often is more than one house. Um, and, and I think the other similarity is... Uh, you know, the frequency you send out is what you get back. You know, kind of sounds kind of corny, but, uh, you know, Lindley Street is a very dysfunctional family. And so, uh, um, you know, it was a, a poltergeist experience, whereas this um, wasn't that kind of thing. They didn't have that dysfunction. I, I think if they did have that dysfunction, there could certainly have been the same possibility uh, of a poltergeist. Certainly the you know, the door was there, a portal or whatever you want to call it. So um, the means were there to get the necessary parasite or entity involved. But I think the uh, what wasn't there was there wasn't the proper frequency. So I think the similarities were the fact that they both got what they, they both got back what they sent out, I guess is what you'd say, you know. Folks, uh, we're speaking with William Hall tonight. Of course, fans of the show will know William's work very well. He was here several months ago to talk about his previous book, The World's Most Haunted House. And uh, that's in the archives, www.nightfrightshow. The show's there are three, of course. And the book we're discussing tonight was just scaring. Some of the stories here are scaring the bejesus out of me. It's called 
The Haunted House Diaries, the true story of a quiet Connecticut town in the center of a paranormal mystery. And as always, www.nightfrightshow. You can just click on uh, William's book covers and order them from the comfort of your own home. As the sun gets lower and lower in the sky tonight, I'm thinking it would be a great read for a night tonight, like tonight as well. I want to go back to something. You know, numerology plays a big part, uh, a much bigger part when uh, loved ones have passed on and they're trying to reach you. I've done whole shows on this. And oddly enough, you had spoke about Bob and Donna. Donna's the wife. And it says here, Donna awoke to a phenomena at precisely 12.42 a.m., an eerie correspondence to her house number 12.42. Now, I've, I've had the same thing happen to me, so right now I'm getting goosebumps, and thank you, because tonight I'll be sleeping with the nightlight on, William, so thank you for that. Uh, All right. <laughs> Scooby-Doo nightlight, right? I mean, then, you know, oh, I would it's assume. Gotta be, it's gotta be. <laughs> um, can you explain what happened there? Well, you know, there's a variety of phenomena that was uh, relating to that number. It was just the times when, when Donna would wake, and then I... I would interview her sister and her daughter, and they all had stories about that time. Even her uh, sister had a story uh, about, uh, you know, counting the ca- cash register and it coming out to exactly that. Now, you try to determine, okay, is it just people focused on that? Um, and in some cases, you could say, yeah, that's all it is. Of course, in this house, knowing all that goes on, it would seem like a no-brainer as a way of uh, ancestors or um, people want to get your attention to um, to use that as as one of the means to you know to call attention and uh, so that was a, a frequent time when different phenomena took I mean, not necessarily the same in a pattern but whether it was a noise or footsteps or something that happened that would jar you awake um, and Donna said to look at the time and it would be the same all the time uh, or not all the time, but you know, quite quite a lot of the time, and certainly more than would be uh, would be normal. Um, so that is a fascinating uh, part to it that's sprinkled throughout the uh, uh, you know the diary entries and throughout the years. Did she feel a, perhaps a message was trying to be conveyed to her? <laughs> well, you know, she she struggles with that. You know, she always tries to. Uh, discern, you know, who it may be and what, what it's about. And I think there were a few instances that she had a pretty good handle on who she thinks it was, you know, when her and her husband were having an argument about a bill and, and the ashtray that belonged to, you know, an ancestor that lived in the house, you know, came down between them, uh, kind of breaking up the argument. You know, that was an example. Um, and so there's a, a few different things based on the personalities of people who lived in there that she did equate to. Uh, to people who had lived in, in the house before. Uh, in fact, there's a, uh, there's an image in the book in, in the uh, colored picture section of the book of, uh, of, uh, their, um, uh, Minnie Gray, the, uh, who was Donna's maternal great grandmother. And that was the person who, uh, what she took, uh, Donna's grandmother in after she was left on the doorstep and she also took Donna's grandfather from uh, the orphanage 
hands and then he told Donna's mother that she would gladly give up her life if it meant Donna would be okay because she had a she she had an illness then. And upon finding out Donna would be fine, uh, Mimi sat down the rocker and died. And her uh, her figure uh, was seen in in the photo in, in the mirror. And what was fascinating is I interviewed everybody separately, and uh, they all instantly said, "Oh my God, that's Minnie Gray in the mirror." Even and Bob, who normally doesn't really want any part of it, he's like, "Whatever," you know. But he looked at it. He said, "Oh, I, I, Minnie Gray, no, no question." So that to me was fascinating that they all were so positive so quickly. Um, without me saying anything or leading them in any way, and um, it, it it makes sense based on you know some of the stories you read in the book. So it's it's a, just a fascinating variety of things that happen there. You had mentioned a couple of things before as well. I wanted to touch upon because I'm hearing this more and more. Whenever there's some kind of paranormal activity, it seems in a remote era era area more than anywhere else. There seems to be UFO activity and, oddly enough, Bigfoot activity or some kind of strange animals. Um, I was wondering if you could touch upon perhaps a UFO incident that may have happened around there. Yes, and, you know, just to that degree, uh, before I do that, you know, it's it's a great point you're bringing up because, I mean, many years ago it was, you know, UFOs didn't want to talk to the UFO people, didn't want to talk to the ghost people because they were a little stupid. And ghost people didn't want to talk to UFO people because they weren't spiritual. They're scientific and stuck up. And both of them didn't want to talk to the Bigfoot people because they were just crazy. But, you know, but yeah, I'm Wait till we get the JFK people in, I get on the show sometimes. Anyways. There we go. Right. And I'm being a little facetious, but, you know, now, many years later, and it's been this way for a while, we're realizing that, hey, as Paulino says, maybe this is why Bigfoot's so good at hide and seek. And, and maybe that. You know, we really can't look at these things in silos, that we need to look at it holistically because um, there, we're experiencing this thing basically using the same mechanics, you know, using whether it's parallel world intersects or whatever you want to call it, door, portal, you know, window, whatever. And uh, that, you know, whether it's Bigfoot or UFOs or, or uh, ancestors or uh, cryptid, cryptids or uh, entities of a variety of species um, that we're seeing this is all kind of um, part of the same paranormal, you know, not to be looked at in silos. So I think, and there's been many, many years of uh, UFO sightings in this area, you know, the triangular one and, you know, odd moving and, um, and it is a long, long history. Matter of fact, this flap area as uh, Paul and Benny, you know, have identified it originally, um, appears to start kind of, you know, right where the Hudson Valley UFO uh, sightings and area, you know, was, uh, and coming up to Connecticut uh, in, in the Litchfield Hills area. So, you know, that, that's kind of the area where it happened. And um, Paul, Paul uh, as well as Mark D'Antoni on different instances and other witnesses I interviewed have been chased out of the farmland up in Goshen by our military guards. And uh, Paul looked into it further, and, and through some connections, he knows he was in the military. And, uh, you know, he was told to back off. 
Um, so we definitely think that there's, you know, a secret base there. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they were there to, you know, study the energy and, and or, or at least the UFO sightings and things that are going on in the area that have been so prevalent for so many years. And uh, now, I mean, Donna took me up that way, and now that all that farmland is now all fenced off. But before it had a, uh, had a very big, bizarre metal sheet over where the farmhouse was, and they ended up building another farmhouse. And, uh, it, you know, it's hard to tell who actually owns it. I mean, you know, there's owners listed, but it's not it's not clear, of course, you know, with, with the way they can set up companies and things like that. And, and it's just land sitting there now, and it's all fenced off. So, um, you know, we do think there's something going on in there as far as an underground military base. And uh, there's, you know, some st the stories about what we're able to find out, you know, in the book about that, too. Um, but given the UFO sightings in particular, it certainly makes sense. And, of course, we used Mark D'Antonio, who was, um, you know, the audio-video expert for Mutual UFO Network. And he examined all the photos and videos in the book as well as uh he had his own missing time incident and implant uh, taken out, uh, you know, in that area too. Missing time incident when he was a little boy uh, in, in that area. So he was he was just a great asset to have on board too, especially because anytime I I had a, you know side beam to run by him or whatnot, uh, he was able to look it up and tell me, you know, if it was legit or not or what it was. So. Yeah, I try to be really careful in what I put, uh, you know, in writing, trying to make it uh, so at least we can say something is unknown versus, uh, you know, somebody looking looking at it and saying, well, I'm a photographer and this is a reflection, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> try to, but, yeah, try to do as good a job as I could. So I, I'm a firm believer in getting the experts that you need to, you know, to do that. So. Yeah, it's a rarity these days that people will find that person to give it authentication, especially, you know, with all the rash of YouTube videos and, and you know, this is a ghost and really, you know, you see the, the car going by outside and it's really not a ghost or I'm trying to think of another example I was just looking at where somebody said um, it was a UFO and it was a falling leaf, for God's sake, out of focus. Oh, yeah, yeah. So well, it's really nice that you had somebody that you were working with in tandem to give you that validation and stamp of authenticity, and I think that shows in your work as well. Yeah. Oh, thank Genuine. you. Yeah. Yeah. Not just there to make a buck. William Hall. Yeah, being a, being a magician. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, being a, a magician, it's just a, a natural for me. I, I certainly don't want to get caught. Well, it's yeah. not only that, but you're Think, because you it's are. It's stupid. What we've discussed this before in the previous show, but because you are, you also bring that instinct to look for the, um, for the uh, what's the word I'm trying to, the people that are just trying to make a buck off of it. You're able to look at it and say, no, I know exactly how they're doing. So that adds another layer of validation and authenticity for me if you can come out and say, I don't know if that made any sense what I just said. Right, right. No, no. It makes perfect sense. And that's why I believe, uh, you know, I, I think if you're looking at a fortune teller, you need a magician because a layperson would know the difference. If, if you're looking at something where somebody might be mentally ill, you need, you know, a medical expert or psychologist or, or a psychiatrist. If uh, if you're looking at uh, photos or videos, you need uh, you know an optical expert, somebody who really knows, and uh, you know whatever it happens to be. And I and 
Uh, and there were some, you know, greats in paranormal research that said, I'm a paranormal investigator. My job is really to get all the proper ex- experts involved. And I, th- I thought that was a very, a very, you know, wise uh, approach, knowing that, uh, um, that you need the right people, you know, at the right time. And, you know, who you need, of course, depends on, you know, the nature of it. Uh, obviously, as, as you gain experience, you know, you know certain things aren't. You know, I, I see less of the fraud and more of the misinterpretation. It, unless you're talking UFOs, I think you get more. You get some fraud in UFOs, but I think a lot of it uh, I see is not fraud. It's just people misinterpreting things. Okay. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. Uh, did you get a chance to walk around the grounds at all and perhaps speak with neighbors to get their interpretations of what is not only going on at the house that you're investigating, so to speak, or writing about, but also in their own lives? Oh, yes. Yeah, I have uh, I have some of the other... I interviewed some of the other people in the area who have phenomena in their houses. Uh, certainly nothing to the degree of of uh you know this farmhouse that has everything but uh certainly they have their own phenomena um yes i did and i stayed uh, numerous nights at the house and and you know back and forth investigating that uh as well as bringing in uh paul and ben of course who have been involved since 2005 and i brought in shane and sarah who i mentioned and you know mark d'antonio stopped by a few times so you know we had a nice uh, nice little team there and uh, we brought in, uh, you know, cameras that would take three fo- consecutive photos uh, with the time on them and whatnot when they detect movement as well as, you know, audio that would go off, recorders that would go off when, the, you know, sounds were uh, were heard. So, you know, we did that. We actually still want to do more of it because, I mean, every time you go there, there's, as Ben aptly said, Ben Eno, he said every time you go there, there's something new, completely new. I mean, it's just, it's. So uh, it's like I said, a one-stop shopping mall for the paranormal. So it's a great, great place to go. Uh, you just have to be careful because Donna's a good cook and she'll make fried Oreos or something. So you got to really watch that. That's the scariest thing. You know, you can gain, gain some weight there. So. Do you let me know the next time you're going down and I'll come and carry a camera for you or something? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. William. When you were there, when you stayed over, I have to ask you this question. Anything out of the ordinary happened to you? I know you caught stuff on film, but outside of that? Uh, yes. Um, and, you know, not the first time. You know, the first night I stayed over was, uh, I'll tell you quick, but it's a funny story. Um, yeah, I, I stayed up relatively late, 11, 12 or whatever, and, and, and uh, then I just completely went to sleep. And Shane was there, and he's in the morning he told me you know there's all these noises and things happen and you can't believe i didn't wake up and you know and of course i i felt like a sap because here i am in a haunted house supposed to be investigating and i just fell asleep and slept like a baby so it did prove to me that you know people had asked me are were you scared and i said well evidently not because i just went to sleep and that was it you know didn't wake up no matter what so uh but yeah i mean over time i did i was there at a, a separate meeting alone with Donna. We were in the basement, and um, I went over to one one wall, and it really felt like a. The best way I could describe it is a bubble of energy, and it felt like there were hundreds of people there. And um, and I asked Donna, you know, do you feel anything? She said, No, I never felt anything over there. She said, But it's funny you say that because 
you know, Paul and Ben went over there and, and they said almost exactly what you said. So I, I was fascinated by that because, you know, I'm, I'm not sensitive at all in any way. You got to hit me over the head with a frying pan. So the place has to really be active for me to figure something out. Now, you know, hopefully I'll become sensitive the more I do this, but you know, I'm, I'm the perfect uh, person to send in there because if I experience it, then everybody will. But, um, Shane later said that uh, he believes that, uh, you know, you feel that because on the other end was a, other side of the wall was the workshop, which is the most active area. And he's very good at bringing in, um, you know, instruments to make sure that it's nothing electrical, nothing in the systems, not, you know, because there, of course, are various things that can make you feel dizzy or, you know, things of that nature that aren't paranormal at all. So we always had to constantly eliminate those things. Even though we knew there was genuine phenomena in the house, uh, you still could, for example, take a picture where there's a reflection, yeah, even though you know there's phenomena in the house. So, again, every step of the way, we tried to make sure that we were, you know, diligent in doing that. But that was a, a fascinating area. And the other thing was we were setting up cameras and, oh, and this I felt luckily we got some you know good pictures and evidence, but you know we're we're Shane had just set up the cameras and um, I saw in the monitor this black shadow figure cross the hallway and Shane saw it too, and I I was so excited it was the first thing I saw and I said Shane I can't believe we got that on film and he said no I'm not recording. Yet. And I was like, oh, God. You know, but luckily, I mean, to get a picture of a little girl's head in the basement, um, and we got a picture of this thing outside that was moving across, which that was great to have those three consecutive photos because we were able to eliminate the fact that, okay, it wasn't a car, it wasn't headlights, it wasn't frost. You know, I had to go through a bit, all of that. And um, so it was very interesting uh, photos. And then we set up stuff in the basement, and about 20 minutes later, went down to to check it and of course nobody had been down there and there was a cabinet that was open and um and shane said yeah you know they don't want us in the workshop and and um you know so i closed it it was like magnetically sealed and i opened it and you know tried to see if it would kind of open it itself if it was open a little it, it just wouldn't budge so uh, um so so that was that was another fascinating uh thing so you see the difference between um, you and I, though, right there, William? As soon as, you know, your buddy said, they don't want us here, that would have been okay with me. I would have been gone. <laughs> <laughs> Crossing the border in Canada. <laughs> That's funny. But now you, you stuck around. <laughs> well, but, you know, but, but Shane's the type of guy where, you know, he's so in tune with this stuff that they tend to hide from him. You know, I mean, he's been into places that had, poltergeists and these parasites, these negative things, and they'll hide from them. Uh, it, it's almost like if they know you know their game, that they're not, um, yeah, that they're, yeah, that they know that you, you got their number, you know. Um, so, and I think that's another function of us thinking, you know, quote unquote, pure evil when in reality, uh, I, I don't think it's quite that way, you know www.nightfrightshow.com www.nightfrightshow.com Folks, you're going to want to get this book, obviously. Uh, if you're not creeped out by the stories as it is, it goes into far, far more detail in the book. Uh, William J. Hall's our guest tonight. The book is called The Haunted House Diaries, 
the true story of a quiet, not so quiet, Connecticut town in the center of a paranormal mystery. Now, what's going on there? There's ghosts, there's aliens, there's holes in space and time, and it all seems to converge in this one singular haunted house. Uh, as a matter of fact, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and everybody knows those guys, have been there, and they dubbed it Ghost Central. So this is incredible, the stuff that's going on. What's next for you? You know, I've got to ask you, like, you know, this seems to be escalating for you and becoming, uh, you're, I feel like you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Are, do you ever unnerve yourself and say, am I being drawn into this thing? Am I being sucked in? And do I want to go down this road or down this rabbit hole? Uh, no, no, I, I enjoy it. You know, I've always been inquisitive and a curious child. And, you know, I mean, you know, when, when I, I was a kid and your Geller was big. I sat there with a spoon in my room for four hours trying to bend it. So, I mean, I'm an idiot, you know? So, <laughs> of course, when I, could, you, know, you know, I mean, you know, when I couldn't bend it, I said, Oh, that's it. He's, he's a fraud because, you know, I'd be able to bend it. So, you know, but that's, that's the way I was. Um, well, you know, have to rub it. so I was always a curious. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I wasn't convinced. I was a kid. I said, I, you know, if it's going to bend. I would have bent it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was much easier when I used trickery to do it, but, um, uh, but yeah, I was always curious, uh, and I, I think I'm very comfortable, um, going down this rabbit hole, so to speak. And maybe I wouldn't be, but, uh, you know, having such people around me as Paul and Benino and, and Shane Sareway and, you know, Mark D'Antonio, I think, I think by understanding, um, the paranormal by not looking at it as, you know, everything's a demon kind of thing. Uh, I think you gain, uh, less fear, I guess, you know, by, by understanding the way we don't know, of course, everything it is, but, but, but there is some things we know about how it works. Um, and so I think, you know, those things, uh, uh, I think make, make you a little, um, uh, it a little easier. I mean, the UFO part, I guess you can argue maybe it doesn't because who wants to be abducted, et cetera. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that part doesn't make it easier. But I mean, as far as I think, you know, now, of course, you know, then people ask, well, what if it was your own house? You know, how would you react or would you be scared then? And, you know, I mean, I wasn't scared being in, in this house at all. I mean, I went in the basement myself because I wasn't scared. Of, I mean, I wasn't scared one bit. I think I would have been, though, if I didn't have um, you know, the kind of that background and mentoring by, you know, Paul and Ben and, and, you know, the other folks and Shane as, as to how this stuff works and what, and, and what it is and what it, what it isn't or what, what we think it is and what, what we know it definitely isn't all the time. Um, I think that prepared me well. You know, of course, what if it was my own house? You know, I, I still want to be honest and say, who knows? You know, because, uh, you know, it's really hard to predict what you would do. Um, I do know that most people that I know that have been in haunted houses don't easily leave their, their house, uh, even though that's kind of what we think, you know, Hollywood-wise. Uh, but then again, I guess it depends what's happening, right? And, and how you, what is happening and how you interpret it. You know, banging on the walls could be banging on the walls or they could be demons. You know, so it really depends, I think, on how you interpret it. But I would like to think if it happened in my own house, it would simply be book three. But... <laughs> You know, but who knows? Other it could be, you know, Bill running out of his house. Who knows? 
<laughs> I would like to say that uh, that the, uh, you know that I know better now, but you know I'll be honest. You know who, who knows? I guess you can't really answer that question unless it happens. But uh, but I it, to answer your question, I don't really know what's what's for me next. I'm I'm actually looking for uh, you know what I. I could do next that's worthy of a book and that could contribute something because of course that's the that's the big thing of course is you know not wanting to put out junk and wanting it to be something that you feel is really worthy of it and i felt the haunted house diaries had that you know paranormal crossroads uh paranormal flat part to it you know let me throw this out to you i was going to ask you this question anyways because i wanted to find out more about your magic and stuff i had a woman on by the name of christine florida who went through a real Roman Catholic exorcism. As a three-year-old, she was involved with black magic in a ritual ceremony and things like that. Do you feel there's authenticity behind black magic? I, you know, I was explained it best by Shane, and I, I would tend to agree. You know, he explained that, that black magic, and so does Native American rituals, but not because their beliefs are correct, uh, but because if you are able to open a portal or find a portal and you're able to give attention to, to those things, uh, then you can connect with, with those things. You know, just like Native Americans would go to these areas with water and the flow of water. You know, they would know how to find the portals. They wouldn't open them, but they'd know how to find them. <clears throat> and then they they would be able to talk to the spirits and invoke spirits to guard the land and stuff like that. But uh, it didn't mean that their religion was correct. It just meant that their religion was effective as a tool. You know, kind of like a Ouija board itself is an evil, but it could be a tool that, of course, you know, could cause some, be, could give you the attention towards those things that end up being, uh, you know, bad. <clears throat> so, you know, my best guess would be that it's not quote unquote, a, you know, a legitimate, you know, religion with the religion itself having the power, but the fact that the attention is, uh, you know, drawn to these, uh, um, to these things that, you know, are, are able to commune. If that makes sense to you. It does. It's a perfect answer, actually. Uh, as an extension of that, um, do you think there is an inherent danger when, you know, everybody seems to be ghost hunting instead of playing softball on the weekends these days? <laughs> <laughs> it's become a real phenomenal hobby. Do you think there's a danger for hobbyists taking it too lightly? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm confident and not afraid because I know these things can't hurt me. But on the other end, they can ruin your life. I know that sounds like double talk, but I mean, psychologically, um, they could ruin your life. So I think if you don't know what you're dealing with and if you're not in the right mindset, um, they certainly can psychologically ruin you. And, you know, I, we probably all have stories where that's happened to people. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, I, I think there is a danger, a danger in that. And the danger might be remote, uh, because probably maybe 98% of the time it doesn't happen, but, you know, um, you know, there definitely are plenty of cases out there where, you know, people thought that, uh, you know, they were curious and did, did the things and they weren't really psychologically ready for it. And, uh, and, and, you know, it ended up bad because again, these things can't hurt you, but 
they can hurt you if you let them, which means they can ruin your life. So it's a, you know, it, it yeah, I agree with you. It's a tough thing to, to dabble in. William, we're going to have to wrap up now, but I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, telling us these great stories and writing these two great books. Folks, The Haunted House Diaries, the one we've been speaking about tonight, the true story of a quiet Connecticut town in the center of a paranormal mystery, and the other one that's in our archives, www.nightflightshow.com, is the world's most haunted house, both written by our illustrious and wonderful author tonight, Mr. William J. Hall. Thank you so much, William. Oh, thank you. It's been great talking to you again, Brent. As well as you, my friend. Stay in touch for the next book. Oh, will do. Okay. Thank you very much, William. I am Brent Holland from Night. Thank you, and thanks to all the listeners. Thank you, my friend. We'll see you all next time. Person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.